The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Raising the Bar with your host, Annie Bredo. Do you ever listen to that inner voice? The one that tells you that you can achieve great things just by giving yourself a little push? Making that voice heard is what this show is all about. What if you could turn your negatives into positives? You'll hear from others who have embraced that personal drive and will help you raise the bar. Now, here is Amy Bredo. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Thank you so much for joining us here on Raising the Bar. I'm your host, Amy Bredo, and today we are going to be speaking with Janice Goldwater. I'm super excited to introduce you to her today. She is the founder of an organization called Adoptions Together, um, based out of Maryland. I hope I have that right, Janice. Adoptions Together is a nonprofit organization that helps find loving adoptive families for children in need. Uh, Adoptions Today also offers counseling, education, and support to families and even young women that have unplanned pregnancies and are possibly even considering adoption. Janice, I know that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg and everything you do, and there's so much um, history behind how you got this started, but I'm so excited you're here today. Welcome. Thank you, Amy. It's really my pleasure to be here with you today. And yeah, Adoptions Together We are now in our 26th year and really excited about creating connections between human beings. You know, our our idea is that we can strengthen the fabric of society by working with one child and family at a time. We believe that, that family is like the key to a healthy community and individual opportunity and success to thrive in our lives. Absolutely. You know, there's, um, yeah, there's a lot to be said for a sound family. And I like, you know, the quote unquote normal family. I'm not really sure that that exists, at least in my experience. But um, I definitely agree that we all need to have resources available to us to, to grow um, ourselves and our families, you know, to, to better serve the community. Let me ask you, you know, I was I was reading up on you, but I would love for you to kind of just give your background story and, you know, what you first were doing in your career before you switched over to social work, because I think that your counseling experience is so, um, such a huge part of the contribution to making your organization so successful. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was one of those super, super achievers, I think, (laughs) Not in terms of being like a straight-A student or anything like that. I was not one of those. I was one of those see-something-say-something something kind of kids growing up. And so um, I went to college. I got a degree in sociology from Ithaca College in, in New York and then just wanted to get out and start working with people. I was so interested in mental health. Like, why do people act the way they do and what can we do to feel even more comfortable within our own skin? What can we do to get along even better with one another? 
So I decided to go to graduate school at Washington University in St. Louis and get a master's degree in social work. When I first started my career, I worked in a community mental health center, primarily working around women's issues. And um, then I moved into working with relational issues, marital issues, family therapy. And I remember, um, you know, just being incredibly excited by looking at, we called it family systems work, you know, understanding how to help, you know, what happens within a family that makes some members thrive and others struggle. So I, I remember being pregnant with my first son when I was about 26, and I was working as a therapist in a mental health center and just saying to him, now you really need to pay attention because when you grow up, I want to make sure you have all the tools to get the right kind of therapy. (laughs) (laughs) You can undo all the things that that your dad and I are doing. (laughs) So anyway, I worked for about three years as a um, marriage and family therapist. And um, after he was born, I found that being a mother was just the most joyous thing I had ever done. You know, and it's funny because, honestly, I, didn't, I wasn't even that drawn to children okay. until he was born. And then it was like, whoa, uh, to young children. And so, um, anyway, I began doing adoption work, doing adoption home studies, and it's funny because the first reason I did that was because I could do it part-time and I okay. could be a mom and I could work. But I found that once I started doing that work, it was about the most interesting thing I had ever done. And so I dove in in the see something, say something kind of a way to learn everything I could learn because I saw there were some real gaps and some challenges that adoptees were much more highly represented in the mental health systems in both the inpatient and the outpatient settings that, um, you know, birth parents who were told you can place your baby for adoption and you'll get over it um, were not. They were living their lives miserably and um, adoptive parents were told, you know, just you don't have to you don't have to make a big deal about adoption. There's no difference. All families are the same. And um, so taking my mental health background and looking at family systems, you know, I sort of dove in and really began, tried to understand, you know, what are the unique issues that families face that, you know, how does a birth parent who chose to bring her child um, to life and cho- and identified what was going on, um, you know, in her life that um, she's unable to parent at this time. How could she plan for her child to get, you know, all of their needs met and deal with her own grief and her own process of understanding, you know, what she was doing? You know, right. how can adoptive parents um, proactively? You know, one, work on their own um, issues of grief and loss if had they experienced infertility, which um, a number of families who I had worked with at that time did, and that's why they chose to um, adopt. Um, and, um, you know, just making sure that they had... That, that they had the information, the confidence, the 
self-reflective and awareness to realize, you know, what are their issues and what do they need to to um, work on so they can be the best parents possible for this child who um, may be the same race as them, maybe a different race, maybe right. from the same culture, maybe from a different culture. You know, this unique human being who's coming into their family to be their child who has this rich history that is uh, very different. So, you know, from the beginning, Adoptions Together started out doing, we did um, primarily infant adoption. Okay. And then um, the second piece was we put our family support programs in place so we could really, you know, wrap around and support pregnant um, women and couples who were considering adoption um, for their children and support supportive activities for adopting families, you know, programs for children um, where they could see other families who look like theirs, where we could more normalize families. And I remember that first kids conference that we did, and we do those um, every year or every couple of years, where, you know, I'd say, like, how many of you play soccer? You know, how many of you go to school? And they raise their hand, and how many of you were adopted? And they all raise their hand, and their eyes get really wide, because this is the first place where there's other families that look like them, that they're not the, you know, the one who was adopted. They're right. one of many, many kids. It's, it's come so far. It's so exciting. I wanted to just, um, pardon my interruption, I, I had a question for you that I was thinking is that you, as you were developing all of this, because really what you were doing was creating a bridge for many of these families and children that, you know, wasn't passable before. You know, it, it made my heart so sad to think about when they would tell the the birth parents, like, you'll be okay, you'll get over it, and yeah. tell the adopt, adoptive parents, like, don't worry, your kid will be totally like, oh, I'm adopted, okay, no big deal. It's so not true. Um, and it's interesting where sometimes societally, if that's a word I couldn't say, I couldn't spit it out, <laughs> you know, you see so many things now where um, – they're encouraging everybody to get in touch with their feelings and this big self-help movement and all that stuff. And it's because years ago and in the last generation, whether it's ours or our children, you were told to kind of stuff it. So it's like, how many people have been told to stuff it? Now you're telling it to all come out. So it really was, you're a great pioneer actually in this movement to, to really have built this bridge. Were there anything any moments specifically that you can recall that really were kind of like those aha moments and thinking to yourself, like, I need to make a change in this curriculum, this this programming, this method of teaching because people are getting lost. Was there something that kind of really pushed you? That's such a that's such a um, good question. You know, one of the things that um, at, at Adoptions Together, we've always had a very inclusive approach to not only the children that we would serve, meaning that every child, regardless of their health, um, their age, their circumstances, who need, need support, uh, needs a family, can get help here at Adoptions Together. Um, we also have an inclusive approach to the adults that we work with. Now, there's one thing that is not... Um, that is um, not flexible, and that's that we always look for mature, um, emotionally stable uh, adults 
who have the capacity to raise a child. So that is across all of the adults that we work with, and they come in many different forms. So we were one of the earlier organizations who worked with, um, in addition to married opposite-sex couples, we also worked with single parents and Mm -hmm. same-sex couples. You know, today with marriage being legal, everybody can get married. And for years, we worked with couples who had been together, you know, 5, 10, 15, sometimes even 20 years, and um, want same-sex couples who wanted to become <clears throat> parents, and adoption right. was the way to get there. The other thing is transracial adoption. You know, transracial adoption People would say, well, there was a a part of the community that said race isn't important. And, you know, a family sometimes came in and said, well, we take a child, you know, yellow, brown, white, blue. Right, right. I'm thinking like, ah, you know, blue. (laughs) You know, did you want to come and adopt a child who's alive? And (laughs) and everybody laughs. And then we begin to really pare down and look at how can I give, how can I raise a child who's going to um, really be able to function in the world where they're seen as a member of their own race and in your house you may be race blind but out in the world we live in a society that's very race conscious. So Right, we really do. And we just have a few minutes till the break. I just wanted to let you know we've got about three minutes just because I didn't want to interrupt your thought. Um, Oh, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. I'll get more focused. So <laughs> anyway, I say all that to say that that we probably um, increased the the amount of work that we did with families who were adopting cross races, whether it was a Caucasian family adopting um, an Asian child or a Caucasian family adopting a Hispanic child or an African American right. child. You know, to to really get them to make sure that they're connected in that community that their child is, um, you know, that their child is a member of that racial group. So they're not like the one, you know, like going out for Chinese food once a year to a Chinese restaurant isn't the most effective way <laughs> to give a child a good sense of her, herself as a Chinese American. <laughs> Who's a member of a Caucasian family. You know, and you speaking about this, me being a a mother of an Ethiopian uh, son, I can, I actually am very aware and discuss even where I have, I don't want to say I failed, but where my husband and I have maybe dropped the ball in some things culturally. We live in a very uh, Caucasian area. And, um, you know, I want to say there's maybe a handful of African-Americans in our area. So it has been a different, it's a difficult, um, it's kind of difficult to navigate at times. And we talk about it a lot. And I think that communication is super important. I can speak just, I guess, from a a parent that has a child of another race, that it is uh, something you need to definitely be talking about so that the child doesn't feel like you're ignoring that. You know, so I guess that would be a good message to send to people um, that are listening, you know, because a lot of people, right, like you say, they come to you and they're like, we we don't care. We just want to be parents. We just want to love a child. But it is a lot. It is a lot to consider. Uh, and when we come back from the break, too, I'll share a little bit more about that 
conversation, just I'm curious to get your feedback on it, uh, that I've had with my son recently about some different things culturally and different experiences that we've had. And I'm sure you've got plenty of stories to share. I want to let our listeners know, too, that they can find out more information about Adoptions Together at adoptionstogether.org. If you do have any questions or comments, please feel free to send an email to amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. You can also post on our Raising the Bar Facebook page. You've been listening to the first segment of Raising the Bar. We're talking with Janice Goldwater, again, from Adoptions Together, and we will be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you considered expanding your family through adoption but don't know where to start? Are you looking to get some answers and direction on how and where to start? Reach out to the community at the Echo Foundation. The Echo Foundation offers five distinct areas of support. For those children in need throughout the world, we are here to support you and guide you through your process and beyond. For more information, please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation. That's amybrado.com and click the Echo Foundation. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. You're listening to Raising the Bar with me, Amy Bredo, and my lovely guest, Miss Janice Goldwater. Sorry about that. We were just talking about um, the importance of expl- explaining to adoptive parents um, kind of what they're getting into when they adapt cross-culturally or cross-racially or interracially, however you want to say it. And I just thought you brought up some really interesting points. Now, I'll just give you the example and I'll use myself because I don't need to share someone else's story. I um, had shared with you that we adapted from Ethiopia. The first few years, Ish was 10 when he came into our family, almost 11, we were really good about you know, traveling into Chicago, you know, about an hour and 15 minutes away, going to the Ethiopian um, camps, going to the, or the camps in the summer, visiting uh, an Ethiopian group at a church a few times. And then I noticed over the years, I wish I would have noticed it while it was happening, if that makes sense. Um, Over the years, we just got progressively busier as a family and, you know, all the kids were in sports and all these things that, some of those things that we were doing and those traditions we were initially creating in our family kind of fell to the back burner. And now, fast forward, you know, Ish is going to be 20 in November, and we were just talking about possibly going to Africa or to Ethiopia in the spring. And um, he was like, you know, I hope my language comes back as quickly as it did two years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to smell it, smell the smells and be around the people and all that stuff. And it, it, I'm going to confess to you, Janice, like really hit me. And I just, yeah, I said, I'm so sorry that we haven't gone to the camps as often and gone down to the church as often. And he's like, I'm okay. I'm like, but I don't want you to be okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I do, but I want you to feel 
connected and like you have your identity. And, you know, with, with children that have, as you know, been institutionalized in orphanages or have had these experiences, you know, he um, is super confident and you don't know how much of that is real. Right. And how much of that is compensating for pain. So how do I, now I'm getting counseling on the radio. How do I, you know, it's good we communicate about it. I have said, you know, let's go, go down there. And he's like, yeah, let's do that. And I apologized. And he, you know, was like, I love you. Like, I'm fine. But is there anything like I should do or say to make sure he's really okay? Or do I just need to like believe him? <laughs> is that a weird question? Yeah, you know what? No, I think it's a great question, and I think it's something that we struggle with as parents all the time. It's like, how do we manage the moment and all of the responsibilities that the moment brings and take care of the needs of our children? Sometimes, you know, for those of us that have more than one child, we have, you know, a complicated, a complicated set of pulls on our, on, on us all the time. So, um, I think, you know, by recognizing that, you know, that, self-awareness, that's the first step. And by bringing it to him, by talking to him about it, that says, hey, this matters. I hear you. What I was thinking was, do it, <laughs> you know? Right. You know, it's like, it's, it's, there's not much more to do to talk about except to say, hey, guess what? There's this going on on <laughs> October 5th. Want to go with me? <laughs> you know, or, you know, just to... If you hear about things, you know, create the opportunities for him to, or for, you know, for you and he or for the three, whatever family structure, you know, right. to go down and, um, you know, get involved, get involved with something. Cause yeah, that's what action, I was thinking. Right. You know, the action of actually doing it, it's in the action. Then if there's other kinds of feelings around it you know, though that can come out, you know, while you're doing it. But just the act of doing it says this matters. Right, right. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Uh, so moving forward and in, in working with all of these families and everything and you starting adoptions together, what, you know, were you able to, um, you know, create the right team, the right group of staff? Like, how did your organization start? Was it, did you start very small? Did you have a big, you know, group of people that wanted to work with you right away to support you and kind of, um, you know, closing this gap of service that was really needed in the, I don't want to call it an industry, but you know what I'm saying, the environment. Well, in, in in our community, which there was this, you know, this big problem that we had that, you were near Washington, D.C., and, you know, we had this problem with the, they called it the crack baby epidemic in the 80s, and babies of be, babies, babies being left in hospitals, and, um, you know, limited opportunities for kids that were medically fragile. So, well, so I actually started Adoptions Together with one other person, and in the, and I'm a social worker, and the person they started with was an attorney, and so, and we both had been working in the field for about oh, 10 years. And um, so we had a lot of relationships. And we initially did the work, all the work ourselves. I mean, I brought the phones home at night and answered them throughout the night um, wow. because we 
connected 24-7. It was, you know, it was a lot of years ago. It was 26 right. years ago was when cell phones were in bags. And um, we hired people slowly. You know, somebody asked me the, the other day, like, how did you start? Like, did you get an investor? And I said, no, right. we didn't get an investor. You know, we... We worked without being paid initially until we began generating some revenue and and then began fundraising and and um, created some community hired staff and Today we have about forty full time staff and about an additional thirty who work contractually. We have an office we're actually a licensed child placement agency in Virginia, Maryland, and Washington, D.C., so we keep three licenses. Um, we have four different offices and just a beautiful team of committed professionals who believe that family matters, you know, that family matters. And, in fact, our most recent exciting thing that we do, we're doing is we just are rolling out a new brand that we're calling uh, Family Works Together. Okay. And our Family Works Together is our educational programs, our counseling programs, because we know that when families can work together, families of all kind, children thrive and our community is, is healthier. And so, you know, I mentioned that I started the agency because I identified the gaps in the community. Well, we're still watching for gaps. We, right. That's what it, Adoptions Together does. We look, for, we look for gaps and then try to create programming to solve whatever social issue around family and stability um, that, that um, is needed. Wow, that is amazing. And I'm thinking, you know, the, the whole... Um, Starting up of a nonprofit is so not an easy feat, and it's and it's it's hard to keep going, and you have to change your scope of vision sometimes, and and really be laser focused on your goals. And you are doing so much. It actually just, I was just smiling as I was listening to you talking because you have to just look back at those days of answering the phones in the night to to where you are now, and just be so grateful and humbled by such an amazing success story. So I I thank yeah. you for really just taking the risk and diving into this because it is so imperative to families everywhere. And you also have, did I read correctly that you do have an office in Moscow or you have an agency or what is that? Well, we actually, for years we did international adoption Okay. and we had, and we did adoption from Russia and from China and Vietnam, Guatemala, a number of other Eastern Bloc countries. Um, and, um, countries in Asia. Today, we don't do international adoption because the whole field of international adoption has changed radically. Yes. You know, it, and so there's many fewer. I mean, I think at the height, which is around 2005, right. there's about 22,000 children that came into to the United States for the purpose of adoption. Today, it's probably about six to 8,000 that come in, and the majority of those are family members right. of, of people who live in this country. And so, um, you know, there was a number of different variables that impacted international adoption stopping or, you know, really slowing down in the United States. Um, it was 
the changing economies of other countries, the recognition mm-hmm. that they could create their own with their improving economies, they could create their own safety net to care for their children um, who weren't able to be raised in their families they were born into. Um, attitudes towards adoption within their countries have changed. Attitudes towards uh, Americans have changed. Right. And you no longer are we the great saviors that we once thought we were and the world thought that we were. Um, so... You know, it's it. There's I know many families who would love to adopt internationally still today, and there's very limited opportunities to do that. So most of the kids that um, we place today are either infants born in our community, they're older older children that are in this country, and they're living in state foster care um, because they've been removed from their first family right. uh, for, for abuse or neglect. You know, here's a question I just thought of when we were speaking. I know you and I spoke um, off the air about the changes in international adoption, and I totally understand about the differences in attitudes towards America and all Americans and all that kind of thing. But I just know that in my own travels recently, uh, the the orphan crisis is not getting better, and I want our listeners to be very aware of that. Though these other countries are changing their their guidelines or closing the doors completely to international adoption, there's a lot of things that people can still do to help uh, help out children in need and orphan children throughout the world. And sorry if I dig deviate a little bit. I just, I want to be very clear that these other countries aren't closing the doors to adoption because it's not a problem. It, it is a problem. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Amy, so much for making that point because there are just thousands of struggling human yeah. beings around around the world. And I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish that there was more that we could do. We do have some, some relief programs um, right. where we... I mean, we we um, work um, in Ukraine where we've trained um, a whole team of of they call them psychologists, but they're staff who work around mental health issues, who work right. in an orphanage to understand trauma and attachment, and understand the and learn and about the brain. We've been working with them for about four years. We. Um, so that we've changed their paradigm of how they provide services to their children. We help them set up a special education program um, within a school to learn you know, how, how the brain works and how you can work with children who have behavioral and, and, and um, other kinds of problems in the classroom to effectively learn. So... Gosh, there's so much that each each one of us could do to help, you know, these poor, vulnerable infants and young children and teenagers who are growing up and unaffiliated, unconnected. Um, yeah. So thank you for for letting reminding everybody that the problem still exists. Yeah, even in our, right, even within the United States as well. Um, you know, we just have a few moments before we go to break. But a question I would like to ask you, and you can think about over the break, is here's a thought. So you and I both both have internationally adopted children, and I'm not really sure what. Um, the scope or rules are in Russia, but I know that Ethiopia has now closed their doors to adoption for, you know, any international adoption. I just am curious, and again, we'll think about this over the break. You know, my son is Ethiopian. 
I wonder if they allow other Ethiopians to adopt like internationally. I just, that's a, that's a question I just thought of. It would be something curious to research or, or curious. Uh, I'm curious about researching that, but we're going to go to a break in just a moment here. And I want, we come back, I would love to also talk about some of your speaking engagements that you have coming up. Uh, some of the other resources that you offer. Um, also, you know, I know you're licensed in those three States. Do you guys offer anything, um, where you refer people from other states that might find you and maybe they're out of your jurisdiction per se? Is, is, do you have resources throughout the U.S. Absolutely. that you offer? Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was curious Did about that. Did you want to so talk about that now or after the break? You know what? We're going to take a quick break, I think, so that we can just go on through. But I want everybody who's listening, please check out Adoptions Together at adoptionstogether.org. You can read about the services they offer, um, all kinds of different career opportunities available, and all of Janice's speaking engagements that we're going to learn about when we come back. You are listening to Raising the Bar. We'll be back in a moment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. There are over 147 million orphans and at-risk children in the world. It's a global problem, but you can make a huge difference. You can help from home or on the ground serving opportunities. Please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation tab to request more information. Our vision is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem of ideas, individuals, and organizations equipped to carry out the mission of hope for every orphan in the world. Help us with our goal of helping every child in need. Visit amybrado.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. We are talking to Janice Goldwater today from Adoptions Together. You're listening to Raising the Bar. I appreciate you so much for tuning in today. Anybody who's just joining us, please feel free also to go to adoptionstogether.org and learn more about this amazing organization. Janice and I were just talking about um, some international adoption issues. A lot of countries have closed their doors to it and just kind of keeping all of us aware that there are, I want to say, over 163 million orphans in the world and vulnerable children, a lot of those in the U.S. So I just want to encourage everybody to uh, really research and listen to your gut. I think a lot of people, I know I was, I know you were, Janice, to just kind of um, push yourself through some discomfort and investigate how you can get involved, especially if you've got that that uh, nagging prompting that's telling you to do something. Listen to that because you won't be sorry. It'll be a struggle sometimes, but it will be an amazing experience for all those involved. And, you know, as we were talking before the break, um, I had mentioned, have you, have you ever heard of or would you have any information on whether or not, you know, a child that was adopted, I'm just going to use Ethiopia because it's all I know, would my son be able to adapt from Ethiopia? 
was like I would just have totally every, every reason to believe that he would be able to adopt from Ethiopia, uh, you know, if they allow people to, if they allow Ethiopians to adopt internationally. You know, there are a right. number of countries that allow uh, people from their country to adopt people who live in America who um, are able to adopt. So the fact that, I mean, I, I, I don't know for sure, and I, th- I know, well, one thing I do know for sure is that every country has their own rules, and rules right. change all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think it's, I think it's really interesting. You know, I think it's, it's um, yeah, really I know. We see a lot of families that come here to adoptions together who have relatives in Africa, um, who are particularly Africa, Nigeria, um, that are looking to bring their relatives who have been orphaned for whatever reason um, to bring them into this country. And so we work with them and help facilitate that, you know, those kinds of adoptions. Um. It's interesting. I know that I met somebody, he, he works with my husband, he lives in Indiana, and he's Ethiopian, he's trying to adopt his niece. You know, uh-huh. a lot of people don't realize, too, that kids can age out, so his niece, I think, is pushing 14 or 15. She's right on that edge of not being right. able to be adopted, and he is really, really struggling in the Cincinnati area to find somebody to come and do a home study. Really? And, yeah, and I was surprised by that. So I'm maybe not sure he's getting the right guidance. Um, I've been trying to look for some things to try and help him because, you know, time really is of the essence. In, in I this. absolutely would be happy to talk to him. Um, Thank you. See if, I could, if I can help him. Because getting the home study should be the least of the problem. Right. The least That's of the what problem. I that's what yeah. I thought. I was like, that's really where you need to start. So, okay, well, I will definitely yeah. be sure to give you his information when we get off the phone today. Let's talk about some of your speaking engagements. You, I know you travel a lot. What is, um, when, when different organizations seek you out, what do they have you come and speak on most often? Well, this, this week, I'm, co- I'm going to St. Louis, Missouri to speak at the Attach Conference and this is going to be an interesting one. I'm going to be talking to caseworkers, workers who work with families whose children may have been removed for child abuse and neglect, workers who work with, with families that are uh, with children who are in foster care and foster families and adoptive families and working with families to try to make the kids healthy, make the parents healthy enough so the kids can come home and work with the family system. So I'm coming to the Attach Conference in St. Louis, which is being held, um, it's what, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, it's long. So it's a four-day conference. Right. Yeah. Um, this coming up weekend to um, talk about how to take principles of attachment and apply it to the work that they're doing. And so when I talk about attachment, you know, attachment is is the process that happens between a infant and a parent or a caregiver that, you know, the child has a need, they express a need, the adult meets their need, and then uh, they feel better. You know, and this happens multiple times and in, in through this process, the brain is developing. So I talk a lot about brain development. I talk a lot about relationship. And I teach, in this case, I'm teaching these professionals how to 
take these principles and apply it to the work that they're doing. I'm also going no. to oh, go ahead. Oh, to Wisconsin for the Coalition for Children and Families uh, November 5th, and that's going to be for parents. That's going to be my presentation is called Keeping Hope Eternal When Dreams and Reality Collide, oh, and it's one. going to be strategies for managing, um, you know, raising their children, and most of these will be families who adopted children, and, you know, as they hit bumps in the road, coming up with new strategies to, um, you know, make it through the moment and ultimately raise healthy kids and stay sane themselves, you know, is really the the piece. So that's going to be the program on November 5th in um, In Wisconsin. the 6th, the 5th, the 6th, November 5th, in, um, at the Coalition for Children in Wisconsin. It's funny you say that, raising, um, you know, raising healthy children while staying sane. I think that even as a mother of biological children, too, I really could have used this conference about 18 years ago. Right. <laughs> so I think maybe it's not too late and I should try to get there. I know that's a weekend I have. Uh, some things going on and I wish I could get there but you know what I'm going to definitely recommend that to some other friends I have that you know even have young children biologically but also you know is it open to people that even have biological children or is it kind of like an adoption only conference okay it's open it's open to the community perfect so and I'll be sure to let them know about that too I um you know I want to ask you too about older children I think that there are definitely some different issues that present themselves when we adopt older children. And you and I have both had some similar and some very, very different experiences. And I had a couple of attachment questions that kind of popped up when you were talking about that. You know, I, in our, in my experience, adopting an older boy who was almost 11 years old, I, I, I always have felt, or definitely in that time, that there was some kind of sense of pressure on me, or I would put it on myself to make sure I did everything the right way in order for him to attach to me. And I think I added a lot of stress to that right. process. Um, you know, I can remember just wanting him to like come and sit on my lap and he would like that when I would scratch his back. So I'm like, okay, sit on my, sit on my lap and scratch, you know, I'll scratch your back and everything. And there's that need. Uh, I'm a very huggy kind of person. I, I, I like mm-hmm. hugging my children. I always, they drive, I drive them crazy to this day. My youngest is 16 and she looks at me like, seriously, like you don't have to hug me. I'm like, yes, I do. You know, like, how do you know I love you if I'm not <laughs> hugging you? So that's just my difference in love language. But I know for me as a mama, I feel like I'm curious on how attached he is to me because I didn't have that time when he was little to spend with him. I didn't have that opportunity to comfort him when he was sick. I didn't, I wasn't there. Um, And I know as as a parent, and many people maybe feel this way, I guess I like to think that because I feel this way, there's some kind of measure of um, guilt or sadness that I have mm-hmm. gone th- gone through at different points in my journey of, of being an adoptive parent because you don't know outside of words you can exchange. And mm-hmm. like I said, my son will talk to me if I bring it up. He isn't the one that will come to me like, I'm not feeling very attached to you right now. You know, obviously <laughs> a kid isn't going to say that, but mm-hmm. I feel now like, you know, now he's almost 20. Oh, how do I know? Did I do all mm-hmm. right? Did I... I just, I don't know. I think other parents probably struggle with those thoughts. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think what you're struggling with is completely, completely normal and typical. And, you know, we see see that in birth families and particularly with families who adopted older children. You know, when I think about attachment, I think about that attachment is about relationship. It's about, you know, when I have a need, can I express it to get my need met? You know, if you think about, like, when something difficult happens, the example for years people used was on 9-11, like, what's the first thing people wanted to do? It was right. to call home, <laughs> you know, to check in with those that they love. You know, when we feel, we can really, we can gauge attachment, not necessarily by the day-to-day activities, but it's when, at a time of need. You know, can he come to you when he's distressed for comfort? You know, the attachment figure, the, you know, the, when we think about the infant and we think about the adult, the infant is completely dependent on the adult for survival. You know, right. for food that we can't walk, we can't talk. You know, we're completely dependent. And throughout our lives, our attachment, you know, what happened when we were infants, we can grow and we can change through corrective experiences if we didn't have our needs met. So, so how we live in, you know, in relationships with our partner, you know, our, our attachment style is directly seen in those relationships. The relationship we have with our children, you know, are we a safe haven? Is, are we someplace that they can come when they feel, when they feel um, overwhelmed or stressed or in pain or hurt or disappointed? That's when you're going to really see if you've become that safe, secure figure for him. Well, that brings me a lot of, I was, again, smiling. I must look like the biggest weirdo when I'm recording because I'm just sitting here smiling, (laughs) staring out the window. But it makes me feel better because lately we've had some really good heart-to-hearts. I think I told you just on what direction to take now that we're becoming adults and, you know, how do we navigate different things. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm so stressed out because I don't know what to do. And I was like that's okay because you don't need to know everything that you need to do right now. And dad and I are here and you don't need to be in a hurry. And the sense of relief that came over his expression, uh, I just won't ever forget. Like he just looked like, okay, like he was able to, to let his air out, you know, or exhale. I can't talk today. So that I, that encourages me. I, I appreciate that. You know, do you have anything specific that sticks out in your mind? Um, of success stories of where maybe people have had children that have had such a really difficult road attaching, whether, you know, they were younger when they were adopted or they were older. I mean, do you have any kind of success stories you would like to share so that there's encouragement and kind of light at the end of tunnel for anybody that's listening that may be struggling? Um, You know, I've seen so many beautiful success stories and, you know, I think the most important thing when we struggle is realizing that it's a moment. It's a moment. It's a chapter. And that commitment and hanging in through the difficult moments is just so critical. I just saw um, a young woman this weekend who was actually adopted as a baby. And, you know, she, she did okay growing up, but when she hit um, her latter teens, We've she had... about three had, minutes, Janice. Okay. Extreme okay. distress. Okay. And, um, you know, was in the, the psychiatric hospital and 
was unable to have any social relationships and function within the world. Today, she is 26, and she's not only you know living in a uh, committed relationship with somebody that's healthy, she's working. She's in uh. grad school. And she's beaming, and she loves life, and it's so inspiring. And I remember sitting with her mom, who was crying when you know ten years ago, and saying, "Oh my God, you know, she felt like an awful mother, and she felt like her right. daughter was never going to be okay." And oh yeah, so it's hanging in for the long haul. That is the most important thing, and getting the help that people need. If you're struggling. If you're struggling, you need to get help and get the right kind of help. And if anybody's listening and you want some guidance, you know, at Adoptions Together, we do parent coaching, you know, nationally and internationally. We do, we have a rich um, breadth of webinars on our website. We do in-person counseling. We do all kinds of services to support families. And we're one of many organizations across the United States that has an expertise in working in these kinds of areas. And if you don't live here, you, know, you live someplace else, but you want some guidance, you know, you can feel free to reach out to me, and I'm happy to help you. My email is jgoldwater at adoptionstogether.org. I'm and so I'm glad. So, Go ahead. So happy to to uh, help. Well, I appreciate that so much, and I'm so glad you gave that tidbit of information. And knowing now that you do the national counseling, I'm like, oh, I am so a candidate for that. So <laughs> I will definitely be in touch because even being a parent of older adopted children, that learning is always there. I wanted to thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate all of, gosh, everything you told us was so informative and just um and even helping me personally, I really appreciate and value you. So I hope uh, you carry that with you today, just knowing that you do such amazing work. Again, please feel free to reach out to Janice at J, right, J Goldwater at adoptionstogether.org. Please check out their website at adoptionstogether.org. And please feel free to uh, reach out to me if anybody's just catching us on the tail end at amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. You can also follow on social media on the Raising the Bar Facebook page or Amy Bredo on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Janice, I thank you again so much for your time. I um, just wish you the greatest day and much, much success in these upcoming events that you're speaking with. And we will definitely be in touch with you soon thank you so much and thank you for doing this show it's been a real gift to be um, on it today thank you well you're welcome you're a blessing you've been listening to Raising the Bar and until next week we hope you have a great day a great week ahead and we'll see you soon thank you for tuning in to Raising the Bar Please listen for another edition with your host, Amy Bredo, next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, get out there and keep raising the bar. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 